All right, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment, also those watching on live stream now and later, all by divine appointment. And Lord, I just pray, give us attentive, attentive hearts, ready to receive what you have for us. I pray we'd leave here more in love with you. Lord, to know you better is to love you more. So may we know you better tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So catch you up quickly. So kings, we see, we're seeing, we saw the end of David's reign as king and the beginning of King Solomon. First and second Samuel only encompassed 100 years. First and second kings are going to encompass 500 years. We saw in the first chapter that though Solomon was the one who God had showed David would be king, Adonijah tried to take his place. And if you guys remember that, David was so feeble, they had to have a, a, a nursemaid, in a sense, take care of him and feed him. Uh, he couldn't get warm at night, so she would lay next to him to keep him warm. So David was very feeble. And in the middle of that, one of his sons, Adonijah, tried to usurp the authority of his father and make himself king. We know what happened, that God gave David the strength because Bathsheba first came and, and warned him after Nathan had warned her, and they both warned the king, and the king, King David, uh, jumped to attention and said, not only is Solomon going to be king, but he's going to be king today. Then we saw last week David's last words. David gave advice to his son, and I tell that message, giving ministry away, and the first thing he said to his son, and I like this, for my kids and my grandkids, he told him to prove himself a man. What does a godly man look like? Well, he obeys the word of God. And again, it's only possible as he walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, you must have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? There's no shortcut to that. There's no church membership that replaces it. You must have an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He extends out his arms out to all of us. It's offered universally, it's accepted individually, and we need to respond. But he exhorted him and he encouraged his son to be faithful and to carry out his father's unfinished work, that there was a day coming when the ministry would quickly be in his hands. He told him to be a man of his word, to be gracious whenever possible. And he also let him know that his sin would find him out. He warned him about three men, actually four, but three that he said, look, you need to watch out for these guys. One of them was Joab. Another one was Shimei, right? And both of those guys had abandoned uh, David and Solomon to run after Adonijah, thinking that he was going to be the next king. And once he saw that they were traitors, that they would not stand with David, he knew that they could cause trouble for Solomon. So he exhorted him. And we saw last week that Solomon did what his father asked him to do. He had Joab was executed, Shemei, he gave him an opportunity to stay, but he had to stay in Jerusalem. When he fled, he was put to death as well. And now, Dave, so now we come to chapter three. And now David's in heaven. Solomon's a young man, depending on the commentators, somewhere between 16 and 20. It's been a couple years, so he's probably 18, somewhere in there. So he's a very young man. And now it's on him. And now he's, we're going to see tonight, he's going to cry out for wisdom because you know what? That's what a man of God needs, amen? A woman of God needs. So here he is. Here's, we're going to see this 
young man who is now the king of God's people. We know the king of kings is the Lord, but the king that's on the throne is Solomon and his dad is no longer there to get advice or counsel. And so as we begin in tonight's text, we're going to see that Solomon does some good things and some bad things. And we're going to see that Solomon, though we're, we're just going to talk about it tonight, he's, he's going to be the wisest man who ever lived. But that doesn't say a lot about men, because I'll tell you what, by the time we get to chapter 11, he walks away from God. So here's this man who's wise. We're going to see him tonight used by the Lord. We're going to see that God has a plan for his life. But we're also going to see that like any man or any woman, if we're not careful, if we take our eyes off the Lord, we can become like the world really quickly. Amen. So grab your outline. If you don't have one, they're on the back table. I tell the message, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We have five points to look at tonight. We're going to see first that the lack of wisdom and understanding leads to compromise. It says in Psalm 19, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge and he sins who hastens his feet. Those who run quickly, who don't wait upon the Lord, who don't seek the Lord, before you know it, you're living lives of compromise. I have people kind of attacking me right now a little bit. They, they'll send me messages and like, how can you be a pastor and vote such and such a way? And how can you make a stand for this or stand for that? And here's the reality. There's a lot of compromise in the church today. And that compromise comes from not knowing the word of God and not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and not being in fellowship. Can I get an amen? And that's the exhortation here for Solomon. We're going to see tonight that he's going to start making some decisions before he gets the wisdom that God pours out upon him. And they're horrible decisions that they're kind of setting a pattern for his life. So the lack of wisdom and understanding leads to compromise. Number two, humble desperation leads us to the end of ourselves, crying out to the Lord for wisdom, discernment, and direction. The Bible says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. If you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. That's what the Bible says. And yet too often, we ask the opinion of everyone else. Or we go online and we look up some, you know, I'll tell you what, please, I know some people use this term. I'm not a big fan of it uh, because of the way the world is accosted. I'm not a fan of mentor. I feel more like discipler. Can I get an amen to that? Not, you know, I get it. If you use that term, it's probably the guy that's discipling you or the woman that's discipling you. And I'm not bagging on the term. I'm just saying the way that it is now, it's, well, when, I'm, when I don't know what to do, I run to my mentor. Here's an idea. When you don't know what to do, run to Jesus. Get spend time on your knees. Open up the word of God and read it. And if you're still struggling, reach out to some Christian friends. The Bible says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. But guys, Jesus should be the first place you go, not the last stop. Amen? And that's the exhortation that humble desperation leads us to this place where we cry out to God. You know, sometimes we wonder, why am I going through such trials? Because God wants us humble so we will look up. Amen? Number three, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the focus of your prayer life? It's between you and the Lord. Just don't say anything. When you pray, what do you pray for? Are you praying for temporary stuff that's focused on you or eternal stuff that's focused on others and focused on the Lord? When you spend time in God's presence, is it give me, Lord, make me, can I have? Or is it, Lord, help me to represent you? Lord, help me to, ser to serve you better. Lord, help me to represent you well. Lord, I pray for my unsafe family members, my unsafe friends. I pray for our nation. Is the prayer focused on us or is it focused on the Lord? Is it focused on my wants being done or his will being done? And our focus needs to be on God's will being done, not our wants. 
The heart of a true servant sees the value of all people. You know, Jesus loves him so much, he'd rather die than live without him. We're going to see that the first counseling session that Solomon has in the Bible is for two prostitutes, two harlots. It's probably a story you've heard before. You'll be reminded when we get there. And then finally, real wisdom is only fully understood when the matter is settled. It says in uh, James 3, but the wisdom that is from, I missed the letter there, that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The truth is that wisdom that comes from God is peaceable, gentle, it's full of mercy and good fruit, partiality and without, without partiality or hypocrisy. So it sounds like the fruit of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? The wisdom that comes from God is fruitful. And the wisdom that comes from God, we will not fully grasp it until the matter is settled. So sometimes we'll be going through something and God is definitely in control and we don't understand. And here's the reality. We don't need to understand. We just need to know that God's in control. And we need to be mind, reminded that he is a faithful God who will never leave us nor forsake us. So let's begin there in 1 Kings chapter 3, looking at the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. And again, as we come here, David has died after giving advice to his son Solomon. He told him to keep charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, his judgments and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? When we obey God, we will see the blessings that come from God. David also warned Solomon about potential threats. As we know, he took care of them last week. And after David died, Solomon dealt with them. So now he's firmly entrenched as the king. His, his reign is beginning. He's a young man. And let's see how it begins here in verse 1 of chapter 3. So a young man with a high calling to be king. How will he respond now that he's on his own? Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Dude, we're one verse in to you being on your own, and you married a pagan idolatrous. You married somebody who worships golden calves, who worships dead idols, the very people that you had to flee from. Now, the reasoning behind it is this simple. A lot of times what would happen is these royalty, and it still happens today, kings or queens or princes will marry a princess or a queen from another land so that they have a treaty between them and, it's, and it's, it, you know, it helps strengthen both nations. And so there's a mentality, well, he married her because it would help them to have peace with Egypt and Egypt was a mighty power and somebody who they had fought with in the past and this would bring peace. Can I tell you what brings peace better than a treaty? The Prince of Peace. Obeying God. Can I get an amen to that? Compromise is never God's highest. And so he marries her. Now, let me just tell you something. If you read this, you would think this is his first wife. It's not. He's like 18. He's already got a few wives. He's getting a head start on the thousand he's going to end up with. He's going to have 700 wives and 300 concubines before he's done. Where did he learn to be a man who was so free with his passions? Where did he learn that? From his dad, David. And he's going to take what David did and do it to the 10th power. He's going to take the 
the promiscuity of David and he's going to multiply it like no man has ever seen before. And see, here's part of the problem. When you're the king, you can do whatever you want. And when you're on the throne of your life, you can do whatever you want. But I want to tell you something. When you do whatever you want, it comes with consequences. The way of the transgressor is hard. Amen? And we disobey God when we go our own way, when we shake our fists at the Lord, when we disobey his word. We know that he was already married because it says in uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon reigned for 40 years. And it talks about Rehoboam, who was born to uh, one of his wives, was 41 years old. So a year before he was even put on the throne, he was already married. He already had a son. And now he's collecting wives. We don't even know if this is his second wife. It might be his fifth. We don't even know. But here's Solomon. He's a young man. He's been told to obey the word of God. We're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Amen? We're going to see the verse quoted later where it talks about this. And Nehemiah is going to refer to Solomon as a man who blew it and that his choices when it came to women and marrying you know, idolatresses and the damage that it did, he's going to say Solomon's the example of what you don't want to do. We're going to see that in Nehemiah chapter 13. So here's Solomon. He's the king. He can do what he wants. His dad charged him, be a man of God, man up. Follow the word of the Lord. Obey his commandments. Do what the word of God says. I know that's not popular today. It's not popular when I look at a young couple and I tell them, you guys should not be sleeping together. And they, they're aghast. What? What do you mean? Bible. Amen? Uh, when the, you're not to date an unbeliever. What? The Bible. Let me clue you guys in. When you obey God, it's never easy, but it's always worth it. Amen? Doing what is right is rarely easy, and doing what is easy is rarely right. And it starts with the men who need to set that standard of purity in their relationship. Like his father David says here, here's Nehemiah, I'll quote it to you. You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons. No, take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Do not, did not Solomon, he's quoting him, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him, even him, to sin. So here he is, the king. He's anointed by God. He's gifted by God. He's placed on the throne. He's been given the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He continues to live contrary to the word of God. And it says that even a man like him can fall. So you know what that means? Take heed because any of us can fall. Can I get an amen to that? When you become prideful and think you cannot fall, and, the, and that's one sin I don't have to worry about, just know the enemy knows your weakness and he's coming for you. Take heed lest ye fall. Solomon's polygamy and marrying of pagan women may have been politically expedient, but it was sinful and would bring harm to Solomon, to Israel, and to his family. Just remember, when you sin, the consequences impact more than just you. Amen? Amen? So it says there in the rest of verse 1, Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Solomon is violating God's word and commands. It's always more important to obey God, even if the rest of the world is acting contrary to it. Even if nobody else is walking with the Lord, 
you and I need to walk with the Lord anyway. We don't follow other Christians. We don't follow churches. We don't follow the doctrine of some uh, you know, denomination. We follow Jesus. We follow his word. And we are not to compromise that. Political advancement or cultural acceptance are never valid excuses that contrary to the word of God. So Solomon marries a pagan woman, Pharaoh's daughter. Guess what? Many more to come. I'm going to read this to you. You can look at it later. In 1 Kings chapter 11, just eight chapters up. Just stay where you are because I don't want to play a chase around the Bible. But I'll read these first six verses to you out of 1 Kings chapter 11. Let me tell you what it says. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations from whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts away after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For so it was that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his, hearts, his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God, as the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not truly follow the Lord as did his father David. Solomon blows it. And this is a man that's going to be used by God for a period of time. But you know what? It's not how we live, but it's how we finish. Amen? Amen. And when you look at Solomon, the way he finishes is horrible. Take heed lest we fall. Amen? His pagan wives, your unsaved boyfriend, your unsaved girlfriend can turn you away from the Lord, have you chasing after things that are contrary to the word of God. Verse 2, meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. So the high places in, in the Bible, is that a good place to, to say make sacrifices or a bad place? What's the answer? It's contrary to the word of God. Where are they to make sacrifice? One place and one place only. Where? The tabernacle and then later the temple. And we're going to see tonight that there's uh, some level of reason why he, he makes sacrifices where he does. But you know who likes high places? The pagans. Because they thought the closer that they were to God, the more he would receive their sacrifices. So if you've been to Israel and the surrounding areas, they have a bunch of hills. So they thought if they got high on a hill, they'd be closer to God. Uh, let me clue you in. It's nonsense. Amen? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's with us in the deepest valley. Amen. We, if you, in the depths of the sea, he's there. Amen. Tallest mountain. And so they would go to the high places because they, they thought it made them closer to the Lord. Well, remember the Tower of Babel, right? You know, all the nations, what were they, they were trying to build a tower high enough to reach God. That's someone who doesn't know God, who thinks they can reach God by building a tower high enough. And so in the high places... The people were making sacrifices because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Who's going to end up building the house? Who's going to build it? Solomon. He's going to build it. 
It's going to be one of the seven wonders of the world. It's going to be the most amazing temple ever built. And again, he's going to do it for the Lord. And he has a time where he loves the Lord. But here's the reality. If you do a bunch of works for the Lord, but then you walk away and turn your back on him, those works aren't going to mean anything. Amen? You know, faith without works is dead, but you know, it's faith that works. And the works are fruit of salvation. High places is used a lot in the Old Testament. And it seems the people, again, had that attitude. The higher up they were, the closer they would get to the Lord. You know, God did command the people to have a central place of worship. It says in Deuteronomy, there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you will bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heaves offerings, your, your, uh, your hand, and all your choice offerings, which you vow to the Lord. Sacrifices were to be made in the place where God dwells. The tabernacle is amazing. If you were here when we went through Exodus, man, the tabernacle is awesome. Don't have time to go through all of it, but even the, the, the cloth that was used and the colors that were used and the way that it was, it was bound together all pointed to the Lord. And the, when you first came into the tabernacle, you came through and then in, in the outer court, there was the bronze laver. The bronze laver had four points on it and the four points, they would tie the animal down and put its blood on the four points. And Jesus bled from his hands, his head and his feet. It's a picture of the cross. It was a perfect picture where a man could lay down. They would then take the blood out of the basin and they would go and pour it out. And when they did that, they would cleanse themselves in the bronze laver. And they, in, this, in this bronze laver, this big tub, they would, they would see the reflection and they would see in it them being cleansed from the blood that had been upon them. And they could look and see the cleansing. That's a picture of baptism in a sense, right? That, hey, we've been cleansed by the Lord and now we come and we, you know, we, we see through the water the cleansing that has washed away our sin. Then they would walk from the outer court into the holy place. And when they went into the holy place, there they would see on the left-hand side the the golden lampstand. Jesus is the light of the world that takes away our sins. Amen. He's the one who washes away our sins, the bronze laver. He's the one that died on the cross of Calvary, the, you know, the bronze altar. And then on the right-hand side, you saw the table of showbread where they would feed, the priests would feed from it. But Jesus is the bread of life, amen? And then you go further back and just outside the Holy of Holies, there was the altar of incense that burnt 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's a picture of, of our Savior seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. And then you go into the Holy of Holies and you could only go on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, and only the high priest could enter in. And when he would enter in, he would come in and there he would see these two angels, cherubim, with their wings touching on the top. And there was a, there was a big, you know, the ark's a, a box. This ark is a box, not a boat. Can I get an amen? And inside that box, covered by the mercy seat, were three things. Manna, a jar of manna, because he's the bread of life. Aaron's rod, because he's the great high priest, and the Ten Commandments, a copy of the Ten Commandments, because he's the word, amen? And then the mercy seat would cover it, and they would come in on that day of atonement, and they would sprinkle the blood in the center of the mercy seat with angels on either end. And we know what happened when Jesus rose from the dead, when, John, when Mary and Martha and when John and Peter ran into the tomb, what did they see? Angels on the end and the bloodstained cloth in the middle, everything in the tabernacle points to Jesus, and that's why the sacrifices needed to be made there and nowhere else. Amen? Because Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only hope for us. You know why they, often, you know why they were worshiping in high places? Because it was closer. Well, we could go all the way down to Jerusalem, but 
why don't we just hang out here? It's closer. We can get home in time for brunch. It's kind of like people going to church. I used to go to that church, but there's one two miles closer. And, you know, it's, that saves like a minute and a half in my car. You know what I mean? And there's this mentality where we want to give up as little as possible to worship the Lord. We want to make it as convenient for us as possible. Aren't you glad that our Savior didn't just do what was convenient? Amen. He loved us enough to die that we might have eternal life. Now, notice what it does say about Solomon. So the people are sacrificing in the high places, and Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. So how does God feel about him burning incense in the high places, making sacrifices right alongside the pagans that are worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and all the false gods of this world? Guys, our God is not one of many paths. He is the only way to salvation. And we don't put him anywhere near, I don't even compare him to, well, you know, your God compared to, I said, your God doesn't exist, bro, so there is no comparison. <laughs> Amen? Your God doesn't exist. It's a, you know, somebody, you know, put that in a kiln and, and, and heated it up and molded it. And you know what? You take half a block of wood, you put it in the fire, and the other half, you carve it up and worship it. We don't serve a dead block of wood. We serve a risen and living Savior. And we're not going to worship him the way the world worships the things of this world. Amen? We're not going to put our focus, our passion, our time, all our efforts into things that are passing away. We're going to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto us. Amen? So sacrifices should have been made in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now what's interesting, which we're going to see in a minute, the tabernacle was one place, and the Ark of the Covenant was somewhere else. And that's a mess already. The tabernacle was up in Gibeon, and that's where he's going to go up and make sacrifice. The tabernacle had everything, but it didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. Is that kind of important that the Ark of the Covenant be there? The Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of Almighty God. Amen? And so they're going into the tabernacle and making sacrifices without the Lord. Guys, if you're making a sacrifice without the Lord, it really is just a waste of time. So he loved the Lord, and it says he burned, except that he made... He sacrificed and burned incense. That's a sad word in that verse, except. Where it says, he loved the Lord. He walked according to the statutes of his father, David, except. He really loves the Lord. He's on fire for God, except for the five women he's sleeping with outside of his wife. Except for the fact that he's an adulterer. Except for the fact that he's a thief. Except for the fact that he's a drunkard or a drugger. Except for the fact that he's a gossip. Except for the fact that he's a, a bitter and an angry man. Guys, we want to follow Jesus and be an example of what God can do to transform somebody's life. We're, we're not going to be sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? Because now we walk in the power of of the Holy Spirit. And look what it says in verse 4. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. Now we could just read that. Now Gibeon's about five miles from Jerusalem, and they weren't you know, driving in air-conditioned cars, so five miles would take some time on a camel or donkey or wherever they got there. But Gibeon was, on the, was a, up on a really high peak, and because the tabernacle of Moses had been there. We know from First Chronicles, it says, For the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering, which Moses had made in the wilderness, were at that time on the high place in Gibeon. When Eli was high priest, there was a war with the Philistines, and the Ark of the Covenant became separated from the tabernacle that Moses had built in the wilderness. And it still, to this point, had not been brought back together. It needed to be. 
The tabernacle should be in Jerusalem. The temple is going to be in Jerusalem and the ark will be there. So a thousand burnt offerings. Now, first of all, you need to know about a burnt offering. They consumed it all. So this was not, this was not a barbecue where you got to participate. But can you imagine a thousand sacrifices? What did that look like? You want to talk about a bloody mess. And, there, and we're not talking about a thousand pigeons. We're talking about a thousand, we're talking about lambs and goats and bulls. And so he's bringing these animals and he's sacrificing a thousand of them. And to some, that might even seem extravagant because they kept none of it. They burned it all. They gave it all to the Lord. They sacrificed it all to the Lord. And in so doing, he was showing again his love for God. Sometimes we see people do things and we think it's extravagant. But David said, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost us something. You know why a lot of us are not serving God in any tangible way? Because we'd have to get up earlier. Or we'd have to study. Or we'd have to get out of our comfort zone. And the reality is, if we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to sacrifice, it's going to cost us something. Now keep in mind, it costs us nothing compared to what he's given us. Amen? It's nothing compared to what he's given us. Whenever I think about somebody giving extravagantly, I always think of Mary when she poured out a year's worth of wages and perfume on Jesus. And it was her dowry. And she broke it and poured it out on him. And remember, if, what, what did Judas say? You wasted it. We could have, we could have, you know, we could have kept it and sold it and given to the poor or the treasurer who was Judas. Amen. <laughs> You know, it's amazing about Mary's act of devotion. It lasted. You know, he, she poured out so much perfume on the Lord. It's believed that when, they were stri- when they were, his back was being uh, scourged, that that poor f- perfume was pouring out of his skin. When they put the crown of thorns on his head, that perfume was pouring out of his skin. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and they were driving nails in his hands, that that perfume was pouring out of his skin. You know what? When we give an act of worship, it's, it's, so, much, it's so much more important than anything else that we can do. Can I get an Amen. He gave, do you think she regrets in heaven that she didn't save that for her dowry? She gave it to Jesus. She gave Jesus the best she had. She gave all of the best that she had as an act of worship. And guys, that's what we need to be doing is giving the Lord, not the rest, but the best that we have. Amen? Seeking him first above all else. So point number one, lack of wisdom and understanding leads to compromise. So already he's sacrificing in high places. He's gotten married to, uh, you know, Pharaoh's daughter. He's got another, he's got a pagan wife. He's already been compromising. Point number two, humble desperation leads us to the end of ourselves, crying out to the Lord for wisdom. So in the midst of all this, Solomon's making decisions, but he also knows that he's not equipped to do this. He knows that I can't do this in my own strength. By the way, do you not know that is a great place to be? Amen? When you get to the place where you say, Lord, I can't do this. Perfect. Now I can use you. Amen? Because when we can't do it, we have to trust God to show up. Amen? It keeps us humble and broken and desperate and usable for the kingdom of God. Second Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God's just looking for men and women who will say, Lord, I'm here. Use me. Look at verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? Can you imagine you're dreaming at night, you've just sacrificed 
a thousand animals showing your, your pledge to the Lord. And imagine if the Lord appeared to you in a dream and said, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And some of you have thought, I'd be up for that program. <laughs> Sign me up. But the sad part is that many of us, if not most of us, would probably not ask for the right things. Because, you know, some people you ask, what would you, oh, I'd, I'd ask for a billion dollars. I'd ask to, I'd ask for, you know, whatever. And, and it's something that's burning or passing away that's not going to last. And we're going to see that Solomon here shows some humility because he's not going to ask amiss. And often people do. Now, look, I do not believe that the Lord would have given him anything he asked for. He says, I want you to ask. And I believe this is a test. Because guys, we can ask God for anything we want. And the Bible tells us repeatedly, we'll see some verses I'll quote in a minute, ask and he'll give it to you. But if you ask him to give you something that's ungodly, he's not going to let, he's not going to give that to you. you. You have to go get that on your own, contrary to what he wants you to do. Amen? So he's asking him, what do you want? Now Solomon, he's a brand new king. He's making mistakes already. He's got to rule these people for the next 40 years. He doesn't know how long it's going to be. He knows it's going to be a long time, hopefully. And he needs help. And so he's going to ask God for something that will help him. God is not your genie. I believe that God would have given, I do not believe he would have given anything he asked for. I do believe that God was testing Solomon. He was looking to see what Solomon's heart was like. Again, just think about it yourself. You could have anything. You know, and there's, there's several things I thought of. First thing, if, you know, I'll be transparent. If the Lord said, you can have anything, I would say, I want all my kids and grandkids to love Jesus more than anything. Anybody else getting an amen to that? I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. That's something that's eternal. It's a little bit selfish in a sense, but not really. They're God's kid and the Lord loves them. Amen? And there's certain things that would come to mind. And some of us would be, I want to be 6'9 and shoot a good, a massive, you know, have a, have a great fadeaway jumper or something, right? I want, I, want to, I want to be, you know, I want to be the best looking man or woman on the planet. I want to have all the, the world's, you know, I want to have a, a, a beach house in the Bahamas or whatever, and all that stuff is passing away. Nothing's wrong with owning those things, but God, God needs to come first, amen? So you may be thinking, I wish God would give me that opportunity. Well, you know what he has. Because Matthew 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Ask. Now again, we ask amiss when we ask for stuff that's perishing. How foolish is it to ask the eternal God for something that's going to last for a decade? Guys, we're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. Can I get an amen? Eternity is better. It says in John 15, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Now I want to say this. These verses are taken out of context by the name and acclaim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it, you know, nonsense cults on Christian television that if you just believe, and it's always amazing how you have to plant the seed in their backyard. I think that's hilarious. Send me $5,000 and God's going to bless you. Well, he's blessing me by, with your $5,000, right? hundreds of times over. But what he's saying is, here's the truth. If you truly fall in love with the Lord, his desire is going to become your desire. You're going to want what he wants, and it's not going to be a new car. It's going to be something that outlasts this life that's far more important. It says in 1 John, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Isn't it good to know God hears your prayers? 
He's never asleep. He never takes any time off. He's never too busy for you. He, he loves you. He loves when you come and crawl up in his lap and share your heart with him, even though he already knows what's going on in your life. God's promises are according to his will, not my fleshly desires. Amen? You know how you know if you're praying the right way? Because it'll agree with the word of God. Amen? It won't agree with what the world's chasing after. It'll agree with what the word of God teaches us. So you know when someone's heart is in the right place, when they're praying for the right thing. So he asked Solomon, what do you want? You're the new king. What do you need, Solomon? Look at verse six. And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You've continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is to this day. Now, I love how he starts. He starts by thanking God. By the way, that's where we should always start. Can I get an amen to that? When you see the Lord's prayer, and it's not really the Lord's prayer, it's the model prayer because it's not the prayer the Lord would pray because he doesn't need to be forgiven his debts. Can I get an amen to that? But it starts off with our father which art in heaven Hallowed or holy be your name. You start off praising him, amen? That's how our praises should begin. And here's David. I mean, Solomon's talking about his dad saying, oh, Lord, you, you bless my dad. And then you put his son on the throne. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for blessing me. So at least he begins this prayer, again, with God's amazing offer. He didn't just blurt out a laundry list of stuff. Really, Lord, anything I want? Okay. <laughs> right? It's like the kid at Christmas when you give them the, you know, the catalog with toys in it. They don't circle one. Can I get an amen? I'll say, and everything on this page and then this section here. And, you know, that's what he could have done. But Solomon, at least at this point, steps back and he says, okay, first of all, Lord, I want to thank you because you're the one that put me here. And I love that heart beginning with thanksgiving. Then he says in verse seven, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, for I'm a little child. I don't know how to go in, go out or come in. Here's what he's saying. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to go into the, to the temple. I don't even know how to go in, into the throne and sit down. I didn't know how to lead the people anywhere. You know, Lord, I'm just a kid. And he's not talking necessarily about his age, but the fact that he's, he's immature as far as he doesn't understand. He goes, I, I'm, I'm not a great king. I, I don't even know what I'm doing. Lord, I need help. And again, this, same, this can seem to some you know, weak, but the reality is anybody who cries out to the Lord for help is a wise individual, amen? And so he just says, I'm a child. I don't, even know, I don't even know how to lead my people in. I don't know how to lead them out. I don't even know what I'm doing. My dad's not here. He was the greatest king who ever lived. I'm taking his place. I don't know what to do. Quite a few of the people of God abused most have all suffered from feelings of being inadequate. So if you feel inadequate, join the club, amen? Remember Moses? God told him he wanted to go to Egypt, and Moses basically told him, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? When God called Jeremiah, he said, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. You see throughout scripture, people who feel inadequate. Well, here's the reality. We're all inadequate. We're all inadequate. But God wants to use all of us 
for his kingdom and his glory. There needs to be less of us and more of him. We're just tools in the hands of the master used for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? And so Solomon's doing pretty good right here. This is the best he's going to do in maybe the whole book. When he says, Lord, thank you. And then, Lord, I'm nothing. Lord, I can't do this. I'm not some great military man. I don't know how to lead an army. I don't know how to lead these people. Then verse 8 and 9, he says, And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Lord, you put me in charge of so many people, I can't even count them. And Lord, I'm unworthy. I couldn't leave five men out into battle, let alone millions of people. You put me on the throne of, of millions of people. They're your people. Too many to be counted. Then he says in verse 9, Therefore, give your servant, and watch what he asks for, a Mercedes-Benz convertible. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. Is that a good thing to ask for? What's the answer? He's basically saying, I need your help, Lord. So I need wisdom. And you notice he says, I need, I need a hearing heart. I need to be able to listen and hear from you. And I need to be able to discern between good and evil. And Lord, I can't do this without your help. So Lord, that's what I want. That's what I need. I need wisdom. I need discernment. I need to have a, a listening heart and the ability to, to minister to your people. Lord, you've called me. Now I need you to equip me. You've heard it said, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If someone's been called by God, God will equip them. God will never call you to do something that he won't give you the ability to do. We've already been told in earlier verses that Solomon act, acted wisely. When, when he was told how to deal with Shemei, uh, it said he had wisdom. Don't let his gray hair go down to his Go, go down in peace. And yet Solomon reveals where he thinks he needs help. Do you know that a truly wise person never thinks they've arrived? A truly wise person always needs more wisdom and they know it. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, no matter how strong you are in your faith, no matter how close you are to the Lord, we could all be closer. You know, we've been justified, we're being sanctified till the day we're glorified, and we're all works in progress. Now, we're, we're born again, we're going to heaven, we're new creations in Christ, but we're still being conformed more and more to the image of our Savior, amen? And praise God for the trials and whatever it takes to bring us there. Without him, I could do nothing, but I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To remain usable by God, we must remain humble, broken, and desperate. And Solomon had knowledge, but he wanted godly wisdom and understanding that he might serve God and his people well. Again, truly wise person doesn't think they have all the answers, doesn't think they've arrived. To lead well, he must have wisdom and discernment. Guys, we all need wisdom and discernment. Amen? I got a call from one of my customers today. And he said, hey, do you do marriage counseling? I said, I do. He said, uh, can I pay you to counsel my wife and I? I said, no, but I'll counsel you for free anytime you want. I said, but you understand, I'm going to counsel you from the Bible, right? Because anything else is a waste of time. And he goes, well, our, our marriage is a man. We're going through difficulty. And there's several. I've had this happen a lot. I have another one of my 
customers that I've done marriage counseling with his family a lot. I've done funerals for people that are, and you know what? And a lot of times when you're put in that environment, it's a blessing because you can reach out and minister to people. Amen. And it's not, but guys, we can't bring anything to that room if we don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and be able to speak the truth with power that comes only from the Lord. Amen. It's not because we read a really good book, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Let me read this and I'll come give you some, <laughs> right? It's not some counseling thing that we did. It's not, it's, it's this, it's God's word transforms lives. Amen. And you know what? We have divine appointments all the time. It doesn't have to be anything that's that formal. It doesn't have to be that formal. It could just be you're, you're walking along the way with a coworker. You're sitting in a restaurant with somebody, wherever you may be. And it's an opportunity to point them to the Lord. We need wisdom to be, go- to be good and godly men and women. Amen? Amen? To be husbands and wives, to be dads and moms, to be workers, to be good citizens, neighbors, people. So how does the Lord respond to Solomon's request? He literally, he says there, an understanding heart. That word in the Hebrew is actually a hearing heart. I want a heart that hears. Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to be able to hear and understand and respond. And I love this heart. So what does the Lord say to him? Oh, dude, you blew it. You could have had so much more. No, he doesn't say that. That was your one shot. Could have wished for a million more wishes if you were smart. (laughs) Point number two there, humble desperation leads us to the end of ourselves. Look at verse number three. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord. I tell you what, here's something that will bring me to tears without even thinking about it. That I could ever please the Lord. Amen? Pleasing the Lord. It doesn't get any better than that. Amen? When you faithfully love and serve others, when you worship the Lord, when you spend time in his presence, when you're unashamed of the gospel, when you share your faith... And if you've pleased the Lord, so good. When I was a young kid, there's nothing I wanted to do more than to make my dad proud. I think that's every young man, young woman's heart, right? You know, I would, I would, if I had a good game and my dad wasn't there, I felt like it didn't count. But you know what? As much as I wanted, wanted to please my earthly father, I so much more want to please my heavenly father. And he's never missing. Amen? He's always there. So he, want, he said, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God was pleased. Then it says, then God said to him, because you have asked for this thing and have not asked long life for yourself or asked for riches for yourself or have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I've given you, given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there ever like you rise after you. He's saying, you're going to be the wisest man who's ever lived because this is what you asked for. And we're going to see him exist. I said this last week. Solomon was a man who was extremely wise when it came to everyone else and extremely flawed when it came to himself. He was able to counsel others, but he struggled to live it himself. And I'm going to tell you something, that's tragic, amen? Where we feel like we can instruct other people in their lives, but our own life is a mess. 
Now, Solomon, again, we don't, you know, we, have, we only know because we got the next chapters. Because right here, it looks good. Solomon's doing well. He's passing the test. Sometimes, again, I think God allows these things into our lives to see what is your focus. Again, what are you praying for? What are your personal desires, wants, and comfort? To live a life that glorifies God or something that makes you comfortable? What are you looking for? What are you looking for if you're single and a spouse? Somebody that's going to honor the Lord with you and, and raise godly kids in a godly home and you're going to serve the Lord together? Uh, what are you looking for in a, in a job? You're looking for a place where you can be, that can be your mission field and you can be salt and light or just a place that plays the, pays the most money. And again, we should work hard to provide for our families, but we should recognize that's our mission field before it's anything. Amen? You're there for a reason. And because of what Solomon asked for, it blessed the heart of the Lord. And he says there, and I have also given you what you have not asked both riches and honor, so there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. You know what he loves? He not only loves what he asked for, he loves what he didn't ask for. See, our prayer life isn't just defined by what we ask for, it's also defined by what we don't ask for. You know, Lord, I want to, you know, I want, I, I want uh, hey, Lord, if you love me, our church will be 100,000 people. Even pastors can fall into that trap, Amen. Anybody in ministry can fall into that trap. I want to be the next Billy Graham. I want to be this. I want to be, I want to be the best worship leader in the history of the world. I want to have the greatest voice ever. And again, the focus should never be on us. It should always be on him. I'd rather, I'd rather mop floors for Jesus than be the head of the largest group of people that don't know God. Can I get an amen to that? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And so he says to him, look, you asked for a, a heavenly heart, if you will, you asked for wisdom and discernment. I'm going to give you that. But you know what? Because you didn't ask for it, I'm going to make you the wealthiest man on the planet. And I'm going to bless you. Now, again, somebody who really loves the Lord, the riches don't mean that much. And I love what Rob McCoy says. If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. What I mean by that is if you're a good conduit to take what God has given you and use it to minister to others, he'll often continue to do that. If you're someone who wants to hoard a bunch of money, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You have the nicest deck chair on the Titanic while it's sinking. Amen? Get on the lifeboat, brother. Riches and honor. Things he didn't ask for, but God gave him anyway. Again, this goes back to Matthew. I quoted it, 633. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The key to a fruitful and faithful life is walking in intimate fellowship with God. Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you love him more than anything else? Do you think about him when you wake up in the morning? Do you think about him when you go to bed at night? And do you have him on your mind all during the day? And again, when I do, it makes me a better husband, a better father, a better worker, a better man. Amen? When you seek first the Lord. Solomon's lack of intimacy with God is going to show up later in life when he walks away from the Lord. So he asked for a good thing. And I think, and again, I'm never going to second guess the Bible. That's wrong. But I would say this. The one thing we never see in Solomon's life that we see in David's life, David had a lot of intimacy with the Lord. David wrote 73 of the Psalms, minimum. And then he had other songs that he wrote or other books of the Bible. And David would be out there with his harp or just hanging out with the Lord and worshiping the Lord. We don't see Solomon doing that at all. 
And so that, it's that lack of intimacy that I think, along with the sinful choices he makes, that leads him to a place where he walks away from God. It's easy to walk away from somebody that you don't have an intimate relationship with. Amen? Take heed lest any of us fall. There is no way. I, I will be the last guy on this planet to ever walk away from his marriage. And will never, I mean, again, by the grace of God. Amen? But because I love my wife, I have eyes only for her. She, I, every time I see her, I call her pretty girl because that's who she is. She's my pretty girl and I love her. And I, would, I wouldn't trade her for anything in the world. I love my wife. And you know what? Because God divinely brought us together. It's a supernatural agape. Can I get an amen to that? And the reason that the world, how marriages have fallen apart, there was never any real spiritual intimacy to begin with let alone the physical intimacy and everything else that goes with it in a good and a solid marriage. But it starts with both of us loving Jesus. And if we don't, you, you can't even have agape. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit to have that selfless love. If you don't know the Lord, if, if you're dating someone who doesn't know God, their love will be selfish at best. And yours will be selfless and it's going to be a mess. This is why David's gonna, or Solomon's going to fail. He lacks the real intimacy with the Lord. Let's move forward. He says there, behold, I've done according to your words. He says, nor shall be any like you. Also, I've given you what you didn't ask for. Verse 14, so if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, I will lengthen your days. You ever notice how some of the promises God has are conditional? If you, then I. If you will obey my word, then I will lengthen your days. Honor your mother and father. It's the only commandment with promise because if you do, God will bless you and lengthen your day. So God has commands where he says, if you do this, then I will bless you. In obedience, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Now watch. So he's had this dream that Solomon awoke and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings and made a feast for his servants. See, I love this because he knew that the thousand things that he offered up in the high places didn't mean as much as being in the presence of almighty God. Amen. He leaves and comes five miles down and gets in front of the ark, which is again, remember the pillar of fire by day or by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And they would follow it through the wilderness and again, this presence of God was there. And so after he heard from the Lord, you know what he wanted to do? Get in God's presence. Guys, when we hear from the Lord, I just want to hang out with you, Lord. I just want to spend time with you, Lord. You know one of the reasons I love my job? I drive a lot. And sometimes there'll be two hours between appointments. And people think I'm crazy, but I, I look forward to it. Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hang out with Jesus for two hours. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm going to listen to worship music or I'm going to listen to a message or I'm just going to pray with everything turned off in the car and I'm hanging out with the creator of the universe driving on the 14 freeway out to Palmdale, amen? And guys, that's the intimate fellowship that we can have and the world doesn't understand it because they don't know him. They're spiritually dead. They're missing out. We're no better than them. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Solomon says, I got to go where God's presence is. So we see times when it looks like he's getting it. Let's finish up here the last two points. The heart of a servant sees the value of all people. So now he's telling him that he's given this to him, right? He says he went there and he made a, a feast for his servants now. So he tells him, yeah, I'm going to give you discernment. I'm going to give you wisdom. Now here's an example of it. He's going to get right off the bat. Here it is. Now this is something that people who don't read the Bible know this story. 
And I've seen it quoted all over the place. And they'll use it as an example of wisdom. Look what it says. Now, two women who were harlots, that means they're prostitutes, came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, oh, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she put her newborn near her and she rolled over on the baby and the baby smothered and died. At least that's the story that's being told. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son, verse 20, from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. That's pretty gnarly if it really happened. So I was, so her baby suffocated and she picked up her dead baby and came over and put the dead baby on my chest and took my baby away and went to the other side of the room. So I would wake up and think it was my baby that died. And it's very clear so far, there's nobody else in the house. There's no other witnesses. And so we've got two people that have two different stories. Now, the first thing right off the bat that I think is important, he's the king of millions and he's listening to the dispute between two prostitutes. Okay? You know what that means? Everybody's important. Amen? Did Jesus die for these harlots? Could they still be saved? See, and so we need to never look down on anybody. Amen? And the Lord loves all people. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. And if we ever get self-righteous or thinking we're better than somebody else because of, you know, our status or education or whatever, we've lost sight of it. And so I love that he stops and he's, he's being a servant here. And then it says there in verse 21, when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I'd examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no. But the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Can you, so here you are. You asked for wisdom. In come two harlots. They got one living baby and a dead baby. And they're arguing over who the baby belongs to. And they're both adamant. And there's nobody else to ask for advice. There's nobody else that witnessed it. And here that two of them are, and they're having this discussion, and you've got to figure out which one's telling the truth. This is where you need wisdom and discernment. This sounds like marriage counseling sometimes. Often I tell people that there's, and I, I, don't, and I believe in sincerity, there's his side, her side, and in the middle is the truth. Amen? I want to be with that. Is we, we see things are, are from our perspective, the other person sees things from their perspective, and often the truth is a little away from, well, this is not like that. There cannot be, you know, they can't both be right, amen? And there can't be a truth that's just in the middle, because one of them is lying. One of them either stole the other person's baby or pretended that the other person stole their baby, and in both cases. So here's, here's Solomon, young man, still, king, but he'd ask God for wisdom, in this case, there's no middle ground. Again, someone's lying, and it's those times when you say, Lord, help. Lord, help. I will say this, too. I believe as we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and we spend time in the Word of God, that God gives us discernment. Can I get an amen to that? 
We'll see right through it. I counseled a guy a while back, and he was lying through his teeth to me, and I knew it from the second he started talking. And he, he had another pastor that was there totally, totally steamrolled. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, bro, you know what? You're lying. I know it. God knows it. And your sin's going to find you out. And it's better off to confess it right now. And he was verbally attacking me and saying all kinds of stuff. And I said, okay. All I can tell you is I know it. God knows it. And I'm telling you right now, I know what you've done is wrong. He committed adultery, and he was denying it. About a month later, I get a phone call from this man. He's like, you were right. I was hiding it. I was wrong. And again, I think we can have discernment. I think discernment comes from the Holy Spirit. Amen? He knows the truth. And I wasn't angry with the guy, but when he was attacking me and saying things about my family, it just was like trying to, you know, when you're confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent. Well, well, it was, you know, it was officer. Everybody else was driving the same speed. Sorry, bro. (laughs) Right? Uh, it was the woman thou gave us me, right? Or you don't want to blame somebody or you, want to, or you need to repent. So here's the situation. How's he going to respond? Last point. Real wisdom was fully understood when the matter is settled. Look, look at the last five verses here, six verses. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other one says, no, but your son is the dead one. And my son is the living one. Now, this is good when you're counseling people or you're talking to people to say back to them what you've heard and make sure that we're on the same page. Amen? So a lot of times I'm doing counseling. So what I'm hearing so far is you feel unloved and you feel disrespected. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's it. Okay. So let's talk about how we can, how we can change that. Amen? So he, he plays back to them what it is, but watch this. I, now, there probably were people in the court watching this. No doubt there were. The king, wherever the king was, there was a crowd. And they're watching this, and they're wondering, how is he going to solve this? And then when he says this, he's got some people really nervous. Because look what he says. King said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two. Give half to one and half to the other. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? What kind of wisdom is this? Have you lost your mind? Dude, what are you smoking? Get him out of there. Impeachment hearings. You know what I mean? Everybody's losing their minds. He had no intention to harm that child. What he was doing was he was going to find out who the real mom was because he knew the real mom would rather have her son live and be without him than have him die and be with her. And he knew he would find out whose heart was in the right place. And often God brings these trials to us and it doesn't make any sense. And there's a sword in the room and we don't understand and we get mad at God. Guys, the wisdom of God is revealed when the matter is settled. Amen. And sometimes we don't understand when it's happening. Now watch this. Then the woman whose son was living to the king for, the, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other one said, let him neither be mine nor hers, but divide him. What a sweetheart. <laughs> so notice it's not just the response of the godly one who's right. It's also the response of the bitter one who's wrong. And you can see within this that the truth has been made so clear because one is willing to give up the child. What if they both said give up the child? It'd be in the same place. But one said, yeah, go ahead and cut him in half. And then look what it says as we finish. 
So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administrate justice. Can I get an amen? Amen. Here's what happens. When somebody stands for the Lord and they stand on the truth of God's word and they deliver it with boldness and they speak the truth powerfully, all of a sudden people don't want to get on the wrong side of the king because they know that their sin's going to be found out. Amen? Amen? And guess what? There's one who's always watching. There's one who always knows that we're being faithful for walking in disobedience. We should live every day in fear of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And godly fear is a good thing because we recognize that his hand is upon us. He holds our lives in his hands. We want to praise him, worship him, and honor and magnify his name. But again, when someone takes a stand for the Lord. Now again, I'm not a super political guy, but pray for this Supreme Court justice. Can I get an amen? And so far, on the money. And they're getting after, well, you love God. Yes, Lord, amen? Amen. You believe in not killing babies. Yes, Lord. Amen? Amen. Good news is God's on the throne no matter what. But we need to pray for righteous people in positions of judgment. Because you know what that does? That will bless our nation. Because this nation is going to be blessed. Because Solomon is going to be a man of wisdom. Other people were afraid to break the law now. Because they knew that he would see right through them. He knew that righteous judgment was coming. And because of that, they said, oh man, we better stop. We need more righteous judgment in our country today. We don't need to be getting rid of the police. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need to be preaching the truth and we need to stand for the truth. And you know what? When you blow it, you need to go to jail. And when your kids disobey, board of education in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's okay. Discipline is good for them. So in closing, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Lack of wisdom and understanding leads to compromise. We saw compromise in Solomon right off the bat, marrying pagan idolaters offering sacrifices in the high places. Humble desperation leads to the end of ourselves, crying out to the Lord. See, when once Solomon saw what was in front of him, he knew it was more than he could handle, and he cries out to the Lord for help. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a, what you pray for is a reflection of where you are spiritually. What are you praying for? What is the passion of your life? The heart of a true servant sees the value of all people. I love that Solomon, the king of millions, had time to minister to two prostitutes. And you know what? We should look at everybody as an opportunity for the gospel. Amen? Amen. I may have shared this the other day. I was sitting studying. I like to study in my car. And I was studying. I sometimes go over by the fountains over here in Thousand Oaks where they have the fountain. I just sit out there. And this young 13-year-old boy came walking toward my car. And I knew what he was going to ask for. He got there. He's going to ask me for money. And as he was coming my way, usually I just wave him off. And I'm like, so he came up and he's a little timid and he, can I, he couldn't. I said, young man, look me in the eye and speak up. What'd you do? What do you need? He looked me in the eye and I said, what's your name? He told me his name. And I said, let me tell you something, young man. Jesus Christ loves you. He suffered and died in your place. You might have eternal life. And I said, you know what? You came over here to, so I can give you a few bucks so you can buy something to eat. And I want to tell you, God has something far better for you. And I said, tell me your name again. And he was mumbling. I said, young man, come here. Shake my hand like a man. Look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. And he did. And I talked to him. And I said, I'm going to pray with you before you go. And I gave him $5 and he may have spent it on something else. But that's between him and the Lord. Can I get an amen? I want to look at every opportunity. Maybe he didn't have a dad around. Maybe he does. I don't know. But an opportunity to speak into somebody's life the truth of God's word. And let's take every divine appointment captive, if you will. Amen? As an opportunity to point people to Christ. 
And real wisdom was only fully understood when the matter settled. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We thank you for your word that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we cry out to you tonight. Lord, give us humble hearts. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to love people the way you love them, to see people the way you see them. Stir up the gifts you've given us and use them for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...